Attention, please. Places for top of show. Places for top of show. Hello, and welcome to Twins Talk Theater. We are Cindy and Stacy, and we're talking about theater, backstage life, and all the excitement that the audience doesn't get to see. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Twins Talk Theater. This week, we are talking to Ginevra Lombardo, who once again has been working with me on The Wreck in Omaha. She is the assistant lighting designer for the show, uh, Pablo, Pablo Santiago. Santiago. And he just goes by that? or Yes. Yeah, he okay. does. Pablo Santiago was our lighting designer, but Ginevra stepped up as assistant lighting designer, but also I, you were pretty much the master electrician for our show, which was amazing. Uh, so <laughs> well, I just you. met Ginevra. She was, well, long story, which I'd actually like to ask her, um, but you're based in Los Angeles and you do a lot of work in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So it was really awesome going out with her at night because her, Ginevra and Cricket know a lot of people in common and have worked up at a lot of similar places together. So they were always telling stories. And with Stacy's <laughs> base in LA, I was like, oh, I know some of these people that you're talking about. Ooh. So Ginevra, how did you get to LA? How did you get in theater? Because I really love your your story on how you got there because you're not from the United States. So no, I'm not. I'm Italian originally and um but I lived in Ireland for 10 years. Uh some of those years were as a child and then I went back to Dublin for college. And I actually got in theater uh, as a as a preteen um I took some acting classes because I had like crippling social anxiety mm-hmm. um so that's what you do they make you go stand in front of people and talk exactly and they're like here here's a stage enjoy <laughs> um and I ended up loving it even though I didn't really have a knack for acting so when I when it was time for me to decide kind of like what I wanted to do with my life I knew I wanted to work in theater but I didn't really know what area I knew I didn't want to be on the stage and Trinity was really great about that because they have this program where you kind of go in and you try your hand at pretty much and um, I went in actually as an acting kind of track and then halfway through kind of find myself in lighting and then stuck to it Um, and then at the end of it I was like well I, I really want to pursue lighting I think this is really where I'm meant to be but I hadn't had enough hands-on experience with it by the end of the two years, I was like, I, I should really go to grad school. And I was looking to kind of leave uh, Europe and kind of expand in uh, the US. And I came to tour UCLA and I loved it here. And I loved LA and I loved the vibe and the feel and the school and everything. So, and they offered me a, a great uh, scholarship, well, TA ship really. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up here. That's so really funny awesome. cuz so then did Cindy, you did you Cindy meet your I, husband there? I did. So the the back, back story is that um my husband actually graduated from UCLA in um a few years before me. I want to say 2011. That's right. Yes, 2011. And he's now the lighting supervisor at the Geffen Playhouse. But he was an interim uh lighting supervisor at UCLA while I when I uh, started there um, and he was working there kind of part-time while they were looking for a more permanent position uh, permanent person to fill the position and we I was his TA for uh, two years and that's how we met 
and it was very scandalous at the time. Uh, <laughs> as in, nobody really cared, but we were like trying to not not seem too obvious about it. And then he left his <laughs> his position there, and he still is at the Geffen, which is wonderful, and we get to work together all the time there, which is great. Um, and it's it's really nice to, to work with somebody that knows your profession really well and that you can kind of like count on for whenever you need help or you know just an opinion but also who understands like the hours the the travel the mm-hmm. and everything else. Mm-hmm. that that's why i have cindy i just call yeah. her and be like so i need <laughs> paperwork or i'm having an issue with the stage manager or i need a script and you did the show <laughs> i like yes, what you said I, of- sorry go on we no, all just keep talking not- over each other <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I was just going to say it's awesome to have somebody that, that gets it, that understands it. Uh, what I thought was funny was we we had a lot of electricity issues with the wreck because we we're in a, a warehouse. And when we finally got some of it solved, we we blew a fuse one day. I think it was a fuse when you're like, I'm just going to go call my favorite master electrician and have me walk him <laughs> through this because <laughs> I don't really know how to fix this problem. <laughs> so... Yeah. Yeah. No. And he's a great resource for those kind of things. Like <laughs> for many times I've been like, so this just happened. What do you think? <laughs> what, did you what send him the... pictures or did you, did you video call him? He actually owns uh, a lot of the same small dimmer packs. So he knew exactly like the minute I was like, I, they all went off. He was like, you blew a fuse. You need to go in this here. You need to unscrew it. Is it, does it look blown? And I was like, yeah. He was like, you need to go to Home Depot, get a new one. It'll be fine. I'll walk you through it. Um, so that was great. I did send him a lot of pictures of fuses, though, because I was like, there's 12,000. Well, I feel like that's what I was doing. Every, t- every time I went to Home Depot to buy stuff for you guys, I kept taking pictures and sending it to you because you're like, we need Edison plugs so we can switch out these birdies to Edison's and so I went to Home Depot and the guys at Home Depot like were not helpful. So I just kept taking pictures and sending them to you. I'm like, this one? This one? This yeah. one that looks funny? Yeah, because we call him Edison, yeah. and, but and common people don't call him that. They just they're like normal plugs. And I'm like, no, 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 no. These are Edison plugs. They're different than like twist locks and three pins. Very distinctive. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's important for us to specify in the theater because most stuff like when you're renting will come in in like a three pin like stage pin so whenever you want it in edison you have to kind of tell them yeah or you have to get 500 adapters to change everything to go to the correct thing correct yeah (laughs) what were they that we had on the birdies they were the three three pin yeah it was three pin stage pin they had just used them in um in the gala, which I'm interested to know how they were running three pin in, yeah. in that space. But that's that's kind of what we got. And they were like, here you go. And we're like, great. And, the, and some of them actually didn't have anything on them. They were just like live wires. And I was like, this oh, is helpful. Yeah. <laughs> this is very helpful. Thank you yeah. for bringing us this box of lights. Of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, so um, another big question I have for you is you... I believe you work as a lighting designer as well as an assistant lighting designer. Can you, we've never really talked to an assistant lighting designer. I don't know if we've talked to a lighting designer. Can you tell us what the difference is in yeah, your we, we talked to Skylar. experience? Oh, right. Right. We did. But what's your, ex- 
like, how would you explain the difference between what an assistant lighting designer does versus a lighting designer? So a lighting designer is essentially in charge of like the ideas of, of uh, talking to the director, coming up with a plan, um, and then kind of cueing a show um, so that he, he kind of oversees like from, from the idea to the execution, kind of like the artistry of it. Um, the assistant lighting designer essentially is the person that's in charge of like making it happen. So, um, I'm in charge of like paperwork, like pre-paperwork. So plots and drawings and anything that you might need to uh, send to a master electrician. That's usually my job. And then, of uh, tracking a show once you're in, you're in tech. So keeping the paperwork updated keeping cue lists, keeping um, anything and everything. And a lot of the times you're kind of like the point person between the designer and the crew. So you're taking notes, you're making sure that notes have happened um, and stuff like that. And there's some, it's really easy to kind of like scrape by as an assistant lighting designer and just kind of do the minimum and then mm-hmm. walk away. But if if you're really on top of it and you're really on top of this show and you make your designer's life easier and they don't have to worry about any of the actual technicalities of making certain things happen, then they'll you'll be working a lot. And um, I happen to have a knack for paperwork, so it works out well for me. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of that's kind of the gist of of what I do versus. When I design, uh, or when Pablo designs, he's he's mostly in. I mean, he's he's the man of of the hour. He's the guy that brings in the ideas and and kind of sees them happen on stage, which is which is amazing. And he's so talented at it. So, so do you yeah. work with Pablo a lot as an assistant lighting designer? Because you said you, if you make someone happy, you kind of you're lucky in that sense. So, are there certain designers that you? you work with better than other designers? Like you just kind of can speak their language better or I guess I get it, their ideas. Yeah. Uh, uh, my professor, uh, Neil John Polis from, from UCLA used to always say, I will always hire a person um, more so because I enjoy going out for, for dinner with them during like our during meal tech. breaks more so. Yeah. More so than, than th- their actual competence and I think it's a bit of both like I think there's a lot of like personal chemistry that goes into like having a well-functioning team um mm-hmm. as well as 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 kind of like what you're bringing to the table um Pablo and I know each other quite well because he went to like he knows my husband really well and he went to school uh many years before me but um they knew each other from that environment um so, and they work together a lot at, uh, in LA. So he's in out of basically every other week um, for different things that him and Darren are doing. So um, we've actually known each other really well, but I've mostly kind of satellite assisted him up until now doing drafting and things like that. Um, this was our first actual show together in, in the actual space. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, this was our first. It was our debut tech together. Debut I usually tech. Do, yeah, I usually do like drafting and and kind of like buttoning up all of his paperwork and stuff like that uh, from home, and and then he flies off and does his magic. <laughs> That's interesting because I um, one of the lighting designers I worked 
I've worked a lot with is Skylar Johnson, uh, now Skylar Johnson Pullet. She just got married. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. oh. <laughs> it was very fun wedding. Um, she has a assistant named Jessica Jolly that she brings on for a lot of the shows that we've worked on together. And most designers that I'd worked with didn't have an assistant. But when Jessica came on, it was great. Like spot cue sheets were being updated all the time. And spotlights had somebody to go to to ask for questions. And she was taking care of some notes while Skyler was in production meeting, taking care of other notes. And I was... It was just so great because most of the time I've never had an, an assistant lighting designer with the lighting designer. So you got to, you know, just work with the poor lighting designer who's being pulled in five million dis- directions during the couple days of tech. Um, but yeah, it was great to have someone who could take care of paperwork for spotlights because the poor lighting designer's busy worried about actual cues and not necessarily like the color of the spotlight or what gels in them or if it's fading in and out or if it's snapping in and out and yeah, I thought it was great. Right. And they've known each other for years and they spend, you know, um, Jessica was a bridesmaid at Skylar's wedding. So they're very close. And I think that that helped a lot on them just understanding how to work together. So it's cool that you said that right. that also helps, you know, that you have the same experience that you know somebody so you can kind of understand how they design and what paperwork they're looking for and just makes communication so much easier. Right. And it, it's, it ultimately boils down to like the report you have with your designer where you're a good assistant if you can predict anything that they might want or need or know what's going to happen and kind of like be two steps ahead of that. Um, so after a few shows, you can, uh, I, there's another designer in LA that I work with um, a lot, um, Josh Stein, and we've kind of developed that report where like I know what he wants I know what he's looking for so I'll make sure that when he walks into tech uh, things that are in the board that he'll expect to be in the board will be there and effects that he doesn't really want to have to take the time to write I'll take care of and and you know so whatever designer you then kind of figure out kind of like what they're looking for what they want you to do and what they don't want you to do because you also want to be careful not to step on anybody's toes and and uh or like take too much charge and then people will feel more territorial about their job. So yeah. it's always a fine line of like being helpful, but not being too helpful in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, completely as an assistant technical director for nine and a half years. Yeah. There were certain things that yeah. you just like, eh, you know, you, you do this part and I do this part and, and we're all happy. <laughs> right. Exactly. 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 And I mean, like the rec was, it was a unique situation because it was like, it wasn't just like kind of helping him in the, in the kind of like keeping together the show, but it was a lot of like physical work as well. So it's like how much we had to put in ourselves to, to make the show happen. So that was kind of a unique situation of, of figuring out. Um, usually there'd be a third person there to do that. Um, yeah. Right. Usually. Know. You have a, a master electrician or somebody who would actually execute the uh, the design, more or less. You know, like hanging the lights and, and running all the, the cables, which you ended up doing everything for. So, with right, all of right. our um, extension cords and scoop lights. Yeah, there's a great picture Cindy took of, like, the first week she was out there of a trunk full of trash cans um clip lights extension cords i think she bought out yeah, that two was, or three home depots that was my of extension cords first that was my first of five first of four trips to home depot to buy extension cords and clip lights yeah yeah 
Blowing power by trying to get all these clip lights and stuff working and mats to cover them so people can walk over them and oh i bet that was a fun fun setup <laughs> it was great it was great home depot loves us <laughs> so how was it because you were also here mostly to focus on proving up which was the new Missy Mazzoli piece, um, we talked to Anthony the other day about this piece, but that was the, the focus really of why you and Pablo came out here. So how was it working in that setting? Because it was another non-traditional space. Uh, the Coneco is an art gallery, right? That yes. was turned into a theater. So how was it working in that space? Did you have similar issues with electricity or with um, pipes somewhere to hang the lights or how did that all come together? So with Kaneko, with we went in with a pretty solid plan. Um, we had given the master electrician, um, uh, Mike McElroy, uh, all our drawings of like where we wanted stuff. It, it worked well because it had all of those like structural, when, uh, structural um, beams that we oh, could okay. then um, put Just conventional pipes on. So, oh. so we rigged two pipes that went long ways that kind of followed the, the uh, pit of the set. Um, the, the one snag that we did hit is we had four moving lights on each side that were coming in from, from further out. And those had to be clamped to the actual beams. So figuring out sort of like, and, and Mike did an amazing job, but figuring out like the mounting hardware to get those up took us a moment, but, but it was great because they, they came in with a really strong plan, um, and got it up pretty much in, in a day and a half. So that was, that was really amazing. I think I actually took a picture of the grid when I went and saw the, the opening night. So I'm uh -huh. going to, we can post that picture when we release this podcast because oh yeah, I was so excited about it. Cause I knew you had been talking about it and how you had to overhang all the lights to get the throws right. that you needed so i totally took a picture of it because i was like i've all the, the entire thing is overhung right oh. well what that happened was more they <laughs> they raised the pit of the of the set so when we underhung the lights they ended up being too low visually for for um sight lines to see the singers throughout the the whole pit Oh. Um, so we had to raise them to, to give more breadth of air. It just, everything felt very collapsed and kind of like capped in. Um, so we overhung them so that there would, it would feel more open and more, um, there would be more breath to it. Kind of. Did you hang them all first and then have to go back and overhang everything? Or did you guys realize that early enough on that you only had to hang it once? No, we, we hung everything. And then you had to go back and redo it. And uh, yeah, <laughs> of course, <laughs> we can't make it easy. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> so, how do you? This is a question that um, we've asked a number of lighting and sound people. But as far as technology goes, so you were trained pretty recently at UCLA, so you probably are more up to date with all the recent equipment. Um, mm -hmm. some people that we talked to, you know, were trained even 10 years ago and then all the equipment changes. How do you stay on top of new boards or new programs or 
um, moving lights because they all have kind of different vocabulary. And even though the idea is the same about programming behind them, it's the the way you do it is different. How do you stay on top of all of that? Um, I read a lot of manuals. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you watch any videos or is it your? I, I do. More of a... I do sometimes. I um, especially with that. Board wise, I, I'm lucky because, as you say, like I I learned programming recently, so the language is very is very fresh in my mind. But mm -hmm. it, it was funny, like for the rack where we had an older board that yeah. uh, predated me, I I I had to go look up a bunch of things because I didn't. It just your mind has to work in such a different manner to make it do the things that you know it can do. Um, it took me a second to get there. Um, just funny because this board is the board that I was trained on its brother board. So I was familiar right. with the terms of it. So when we had to make a few edits, Pablo's like, do you know how to do that? And I was like, yeah, no big deal. This is I got <laughs> how it. I was trained 15 years ago, whereas oh, I'm not used to the new boards. What so board was it? It's a ETC. It, it was an expression. Expression. Three. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think, was, I think uh... Cindy and I had the same boards at college. So it was useful because at one one or two shows we would sw like switch like it would be my spring break and she was in school and I would go up there and run the light board for a show or something and it was convenient that oh, we both awesome. had the same light board so we knew we could work each other's boards right so this one <laughs> I knew it was awesome. it was no big deal you know if we needed to like add time or you know right birdies. we wanted right. birdies to right. come up more but right. I know for you know Pablo was over there mumbling to himself half the time being like um q q q oh there it is okay um yeah. record <laughs> yeah right. can't find any of these buttons no it was really funny because it was like a, a, a time warp you were like jumping back in time with that board because it just it still functionally does the same things but it's just like the your way of making it do it, it's kind of like working with an old computer um if if we were like having a, a windows like one of the original windows or one of the original Macs, like our, our right. brain would be like, wait, what? how does this compute? <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas with, with more recent boards then, and I think most designers are now so used to that as well, because that's the boards that you find in most regional theaters. It's like, you know, you get an ion or you get a EOS, but they, they mostly like the software is the same for all of them. So you develop yeah. that. They speak the same language on how to program. Right, exactly. Um, where it changes is like more like concert venues and, and stuff like that, where you get a grand MA and then it's still, it, it's basically much fancier, but it, you know, the language starts to change a little bit. So at that point you are kind of trusting like a, a good programmer and you just tell them what you want and they'll know the board inside out and, and have it do what they use wanted to do but with with more recent technology and like lights I find I just yeah I just read a bunch of manuals and then I'm like oh cool I can do this or oh cool I can do that and most of the time designers will will pick lights after having read all their specs and stuff like that and they'll be like I want this because I know I can do this or I want that because ah. I know I can do that thing um, yeah that makes sense yeah uh, we, I worked on, uh, at the Geffen Playhouse, we did, uh, The Legend of Georgia McBride, uh, last year. And at the end, there's this, like, big dance number that needed to look like, kind of like a Beyonce concert. 
<laughs> kind of like crazy. So we specced a bunch of gear that we had never worked with, that we had never seen, but that we knew could do like really cool sweeps into the audience and really cool effects. And we had like pixel control of every single like LED. And, and that way it gave us the most uh, kind of breadth of choice for, for that crazy number. But most of those lights, we've never seen them in real life. It's interesting. I've never really thought about that. Maybe because in, in the little lighting experience I have, you usually just work with what's at the theater, you know, especially right. in school. And so I never had to really think about renting lights. It was like, these are your options. You have this many 50 degrees, you have this many, you know, 70s or whatever, and you just kind of make no it work with that. But... Right. Right. <laughs> no, here we had the Obviously luxury of renting everything, so it was great. We got brand new gear for for proving up. We got the brand new uh, solo frames, which were awesome. We got all those little pars that were doing the the washes, which are brand new Chauvet fixtures. Are really cool. Those are um, gorgeous. Got, I, yeah. I love the way those looked on that set. Yeah. Mm. No, and their color mixing is great, and um. Yeah, so that was, the, but you know, a lot of the times when you're specking this stuff, it's brand new stuff and you have to keep, you have to keep on top of it all the time. So like I go to LDI every year to see what's coming out. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I just yeah. got a, an invite um, and I don't remember exactly when this podcast is coming out, but um, Andy Lowe just sent me an invite and there's a new industry networking party coming up on mm -hmm. May 7th and it's put on by um I think Kinetics or Kinetics is a big part of it and they are showcasing yeah. a lot of the new lights and a lot of the new technology mm -hmm. and it's like food and activities you can eat and drink and play with gear <laughs> and I thought that was really cool that's because a, like how else do you get your hands on these things people. yeah <laughs> eat and drink and play with cool lighting effects and so I was yeah. interested in going to it just because, I mean, as a TD, I don't often have to know the lighting. Like, you know, somebody gives me the specs and I price it and see if it works and make sure we have the power and schedule load-in and all. Um, but I don't know much about all the new stuff and how it works or how to program a new board. I know the ION, and so I know how to program that, but, like, I don't know how to program a hog. That thing makes no sense yeah. to me. Uh, but it is always cool to see the new stuff. I remember years ago when I was in college, we went to USITT when it was in Long Beach and LEDs were first coming out. And I was like, oh my God, an mm -hmm. LED light? You mean it doesn't get so hot that you burn your hands if you forget to put your gloves on while focusing it? And you don't have to change gels? Like, that's amazing. And now LED is right. everywhere. Like, it's hard to find a light that's not LED. Yeah. Or, or somebody that doesn't want an LED fixture. Yeah, they save so much power. They save so much heat. You save gels. You don't have to change uh, lamps all the time. So mm -hmm. that's just, I find that super cool and fun. I just haven't really kept up on it because I don't have to. So I've been lax about it. Yeah, fair. No, that's fair. But yeah, Kinetic does it uh, every, I want to say every year where they have like a kind of like a, LA professionals kind of day and you go out there and they show you all their stuff and it's great. And, and yeah, there's USITT, which is also great. And it's great for like, um, 
I know a lot of college students go out there because they they kind of promote um, like post college kind of experiences or internships mm -hmm. and things like that. And then the big one is obviously LDI at Vegas, which is a three day showcase, which is sometimes a little overwhelming of just like pure product placement of new things that each manufacturer has coming out, softwares, like you name it. Um, there's wow, a bunch three, of laser, a bunch of haze. Three days of that. Yeah. Like I've gone to comic conventions and stuff and it's exhausting, but I'm not trying to be sold on things and like my brain working. I'm just looking at nerdy stuff. I don't know if yeah. I can do three days of like work intense, paying attention to new industrial standards. That, yeah, that it gets exhausting. a little overwhelming. It's fun. <laughs> a lot of booths like do like cool lighting shows on the clock every however often. So it, it's fun. But after a while, I find like I need to step away. And well, it's actually a, a week long convention. I just go for the weekend usually. Yeah, <laughs> like that's about all I can take is one weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably have to do like a day and then a day off <laughs> and go back so my mind can like process things in between. Yeah, exactly. But it's cool because during the week they do like seminars about, you know, anything and everything that goes from rigging to LED panels to so it's, it's it actually has a decent like educational value to it as well if you sign up. Nice. It sounds like I'm I'm placing I'm product placement in LDI. Well, I just product placed <laughs> uh, you know, kinetics lighting. Look yeah, up so the, the page you're that was sent to me. Fanatic <laughs> and LDI, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned having a programmer. Do you how often do you work with a programmer versus programming your own stuff? It depends. It really depends. Bigger theaters always come with a person, which is great. Um, smaller theaters, 99C theater, all of those things don't. So you're kind of your own person. Uh, um, you go in and you kind of put it up yourself and you program it yourself. And then when you get to the really fancy level, which is the Broadway level, um, you're basically, you have a programmer that you bring with you. Um, so I worked at Williamstown for a couple of seasons and for the musical, the designers would usually bring in their own programmer from New York because their tech time is so short because you, you essentially have two days to tech it, um, two and a half days. So they, they brought in their own people. Um, you, they got in, uh, basically they were doing dual programming. So they brought in a moving light programmer that just did that. And then there was a conventional programmer that was one of the interns usually and and that way they do it really fast but i have wow. a couple of friends that are programmers on in new york and and they're going with the tours or they're they're on broadway or off broadway and they they work a lot those guys work a lot if you have a board that you know very well and you're fast you'll be working plenty and the programmers usually then stay on the show and and run the board during production no. as well no 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 then there's a board op that takes over the show once the show has opened the programmer will literally just they're too expensive for them to stay on got it um so they will come on program it and then move on to the next show yeah i've uh sean meyer is an old friend of mine and when we get behind <laughs> on things we'll call him in and be like sean i just need someone to come in here and real fast build some cues and do some flash and trash and program this real fast because I'm out of time to 
for anybody else to do it. Yeah, he's, he's a wizard. Yeah, he'll yeah. come with his thumb drive, plug yeah. it in, and then in like 20 minutes, he's like, I'm done. And I'm like, Dude, really? That's it? Like, okay. But he'd worked at the Norris for years, and he knew it, and he knew the board forwards and backwards. And it was just amazing. And watching his fingers, like, he never had to look down. He just knew yeah. where all the keys were. He knew where everything was working and what the designer wanted and they spoke in a language I didn't understand and it was it just absolutely amazing to watch yeah just... yeah no it's incredible and and the speed at which they do it is is incredible yeah it, a good to watch a good programmer on a board is is like watching magic unfold yeah it's, it's like just somebody who's been typing for years their fingers just move non-stop and then suddenly there's like 15 yeah. new cues and i'm like i don't even like i didn't even see you press a button and and suddenly like the whole show's programmed it's really impressive. yeah <laughs> it's really cool it's true i'm always amazed i'm like damn or like all the tricks like boards have all these tricks that you can make the lights do and they know them back to front and you're like how did you do that with one keystroke? And I mean, they're never going to reveal your se- their secrets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I was like, I know it can do that, but it would take me 30 minutes looking through the manual. And then I'd be pressing a bunch of buttons to figure out where that soft key's located. And you're already done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So the, do you, are, you are, do you want to be a lighting assistant or a programmer or lighting designer? I know some people just want to be assistants or just want to be a programmer. What are you? What's your goal for? in life? What's yeah. my What's goal? your goal in I mean, life? <laughs> ideally, I think I, I started off being like, I want to be a lighting designer. Like, I want to be the point person. Um, what I found out in assisting is that I really enjoy not having the pressure of um, delivering the product, but at the same time having the responsibility of making it happen. So a good assistant will inevitably end up designing to some degree, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time, and, and I enjoy very much just having, uh, this is going to sound terrible, but I enjoy the feeling of having somebody rely on you to make things happen. Um, so I started out wanting to design and the more I go on, I think the more I think I'm better suited to being just a very good assistant, but I'll still pursue designing. Um, I do, I do really love designing. I do love being in the room and being a designer, but there's, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of people that have shame in being assistants and I have none of it. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, no, no I was I, an assistant for... Twin, stop saying the same thing I say all the time. <laughs> I'll sit here quietly. <laughs> uh, I was technically an assistant for a technical director for nine and a half years. And no, I completely agree. Like, I understood what he was good at and what I was good at. And I knew, you know, that he wasn't going to fill out paperwork as fast as I was going to fill it out. So I did that and he understood it and... And yeah, no, it it makes a lot of sense. Like I can com- I completely agree. Yeah. Well, and I think the the misconception is that especially in the theater world, assistant doesn't necessarily mean that you're assisting that person. It's pretty much a whole other job. So right. even as like an assistant stage manager, 
Like the assistant stage manager doesn't just assist a stage manager. They have a whole job onto themselves that I cannot do as a stage manager. And I think it's exactly the same as a lighting designer. You know, you're not just like there to be, you're not the assistant to the lighting designer. You are a whole separate entity. And I kind of wish that there was another name that you can come up with for people, just like assistant stage manager. I, I wish that, you know, we would call it, and some people do call it, um, like, deck stage manager versus calling stage manager because mm-hmm. they do have that much power. And so, right. yeah, you're right. There's a lot right. of people that are like, oh, I never want to assist or, you know, there's just, like, a negative feeling around assisting, but it's... Yeah. It's a big it's job. Just, yeah, it is. It's a big, big job. What's nice about lighting is that, you know, if you move up in the world from assisting, you eventually become an associate somewhere and then you're essentially the designer. You're just with a different title. Um, so, but it's true. It's even in stage managing and in pretty much everything, um, scenic design, costume design, like when you're assisting, you're, you have a pretty big job cut out for you. It's, it's, um, you're the point person. You're the person that has to, has to do it, has to make it happen. You have to, yeah. I mean, you can also just, you know, scrape on by and then you'll and get the title and yeah. not get a lot of jobs soon after that because no right. one's going to want to exactly. work with you again. <laughs> yeah. There's exactly. plenty of those people. But it's, it's also fun for me to be in, I, I have found that like working as a designer in smaller theaters that are maybe less equipped or maybe that, the projects are more pet projects and not as, as professionals one would hope sometimes frustrates me. So (laughs) being an assistant helps me be in the right rooms with the right people and get to know the right people. So I'm also really thankful for that because if I wasn't doing it, you know, if I hadn't assisted Pablo on this show, I wouldn't have met all the plethora of awesome people that I did over at Opera Homa. So I'm also very thankful for that. Um, for those opportunities yeah that's that's one thing that comes up a lot is uh yes it's about what you know and how hard you work and whatnot but it's also a lot about being at the right place at the right time or you know you do a small show with someone and you meet someone and then they you make a good impression they go on to a bigger show they liked you they bring you on and you never know where that's going to go or who you meet or anything like that because five years from now who knows where you're going to be and the people you've met along the way or worked with or made impressions with right Right, 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 right. And I actually, I talked very recently to uh, a LA-based designer, Brian Gale, who's who's a superstar. He, he does everything, and he's so amazing at everything. Uh, but he does theater, he does opera, he does entertainment design, he does, you know, theme parks. The, the man is just, his career is amazing. <laughs> and um, he told me something that I thought was very telling. He was like, you know, your career at the end of the day will boil down to two connections you've made along the way that are super important and everything else will stem from there, but you'll always be able to scale it back to two people that you know, that you know really well. And that's, that's going to be your career. So just cultivate your connections because that's where, that's where all of your work for the rest of your life is going to come from. And, and you that's never so- really know who those two people are going to be. Right. Exactly. That's the fun part right now. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, who am I going to impress today? Who's going to get me a job? Because we, Cindy and I talked about in a previous podcast that because of Cindy going to 
um, Cincinnati, Cincinnati and getting a job in, huh? Yep. I was, I just said Cincinnati. Yeah. Going to Cincinnati and getting a job right out of Cincinnati with Nixon in China got her to Long Beach, which is where I was living to do a job with Opera Long Beach. And from there, meeting Darlene Miyakala has gotten Cindy and I more jobs all over the place. Like even the job I just got now, what? seven, eight years after meeting Darlene was because Darlene recommended me to someone at East West Players. And, you know, oh, who would have thought awesome. that, that Cindy going to grad school would have eventually stepped around to me getting a job nine, ten years later. But it's all just right. the people you meet and who recommend you and what shows you do. And yeah, it can definitely be a small world. People say that, but when you get into it, it, it really is a small world. It, it, it sure is. And especially theater and opera where it's just like... It seems very big, but it's not. Yeah. A couple well, even years feel in. like just being in, in L.A., um, I'm not L.A. based, even though I grew up in L.A., but I feel like I have all these connections because Stacy's in L.A. But I remember mm-hmm. one night during tech, we all went out. I mean, we went out to the bar every night of tech. But one of the nights we went out, um, Cricket and Ginevra were just started talking about who they knew in L.A. and people that they'd worked with. And I just felt kind of special because I was like, oh, I recognize some of these names just because they're names that <laughs> Stacy talks about all the time. So even the L.A. world, theater world, you know, is is pretty small. Oh, it's Every- tiny. It's so tiny. I just like and and what I find out more and more is like even though I'm, I'm going to other places to work that are outside of L.A., the same names come up over and over and over again. And you're just like, well, I guess it's a small world after all. Yeah, well, well the fact now, that you yes. two you two work together, but you've worked with Cricket, and I just finished Allegiance with Cricket, and you know Sean Meyer, who I've been with oh. Sean Meyer for years, and is good friends with like his younger brother Chris, and you know who would have thought that? Uh huh. I worked in a small theater named yeah. Norris that most people don't know about, yet you know Sean Meyer, and that's where he started. So, and you guys are in Omaha, yeah. so it's it's all over the place. Somebody knew Brad. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you Um, were talking to someone who knew Brad. You were showing them pictures of Brad and Chris. Cricket, I think, knows Brad from Pasadena Playhouse. Probably Cricket, yeah. I think so, yeah. I think so. Since he went to school, Brad taught at University of Pacific. That's how I knew him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uh, I see. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, it all makes sense now. It all comes together. I was so you were mentioning being an associate and which just for whatever reason made me think of proving up the fact that proving up started here in Omaha but is going to the Miller Theater in New York City in August. So did you have to do anything different on the show here in order to prep it for the move to New York City? Um, it's just a matter of documentation. So everything has to be documented extra carefully. Um, the idea would be that the show file will go to New York and then it will get plugged into a board and then we'll work from an existing show file rather than starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, for obviously things will be different because it's not the same venue. Things won't go in the same place. Um, there'll probably be different fixtures depending to what the budget is and, um, sort of like that. So the idea was to document the show and the looks really, really well. So, for example, mover placement for each queue, you know, go in, take pictures so that when we go, when they go in, 
uh, in New York, they know what the looks were and and how we accomplished and, and can try and recreate that look, even though not everything will be the same. So it just kind of like boils down to documentation at the end of the day. And that's, that's pretty standard for touring shows, for shows that leave and, and go places. Um, often or not, the assistant or the associate will go out with the show. Um, and having all the paperwork and all the documentation ready can just go in, repoint all the movers to where they need to go, uh, according to pictures and documents and everything, and then just plug in the show file and it's done. This one will be a little different. There'll be some tweaking for sure. Mm-hmm. Are, Are you, you going, going with it to New York? Yeah. Um, Good job. Tweet. There is talks about it. Um, nothing set in stone yet, but uh, potentially yes, mostly because Pablo has a, a um, scheduling conflict, so he cannot go out there immediately. He'll he'll uh, come out a little later in September. Uh, so I think I, Pablo's going to be in Philadelphia with me. <laughs> correct. <laughs> so I think there's talks of me going immediately to get things started and then um and then he'll join us and 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 finish it off um but nothing set in stone yet so we'll see hopefully right. it makes well, the most, no, most they're sense still working cause... on stage managers too so <laughs> there you go they're probably working on a lot of things tons of contracts <laughs> and writers and scheduling and budgets all the fun stuff and pit plots uh, yeah i don't know I don't know why those are so confusing, but for some reason, those take forever. <laughs> yeah, no, I keep on seeing the Dropbox being like, new pit plot. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> Let me know They went today and physically taped out the New York City pit and then rearranged mm-hmm. the pit here to see if it would fit. Because I ran into right. their stage manager today on the way over there. And she was like, I've never done this before, but okay. <laughs> so they're, they have time in the space. So they're literally trying to map out the pit here so that because they don't have time when they get to New York to figure it out. Interesting. So. I wonder okay. if they fit. I don't know. I haven't seen her since then. So <laughs> we'll find out. Yep. You might know because you have access to the Dropbox. Yeah. Yeah. I'll Tomorrow there's a new Dropbox folder that says yeah. new pit plot. <laughs> I'd be like, PS, I don't think they fit. <laughs> when you start seeing that they've cut instruments and they're like now we're down to 23 instruments and 24 instruments so somebody's learning a double <laughs> we'll just uh you don't fit so you can go <laughs> exactly <laughs> so have you have you ever done a tour no no this would be my first time oh cool yeah it's a, it's very exciting for me to see it to see it grow, especially being Missy's piece and it has so much traction already um, right. attached to it with, you know, Missy's name and James's name on it. And it's, it's, it was really, really wonderful to work on that piece. Um, not just for publicity's sake, but because the opera itself is so magnificent, like that, excuse me, so magnificent and, and all of it. And she's so talented. Yeah. And I know a number of us are thinking about going again on Saturday, I think, or tomorrow. No, not tomorrow. Well, no, tomorrow. Don't go too many times because the music is so good; it will haunt you in your dreams. Because yeah. it's oh. been haunting me ever since it has opened. Like, she's done musicals. She knows how to get songs stuck in her head. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what kind of why I want to go again because when I went the first time, I sat on the the side with the house. And mm-hmm. I kind of wish 
that I can sit. I really want to sit closer to the orchestra to actually kind of watch them and to to get all the little nuances, you know, because the first time I'm, I'm so focused on the actual show and the story of the show because I didn't look it up beforehand. I right. didn't read the synopsis, you know, and so I feel like if I would to go again, I could actually pick up on all the little details or, you know, when Claro's right. playing all of the guitars behind her or whatever and, you know, experience right. that part of it because... It's pretty incredible, and and the way it's orchestrated is actually pretty incredible. I'm I'm very musically illiterate, um, which is uh, Opera Omaha will be so happy to hear from this podcast that I am. <laughs> but the show's over by now, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> so it doesn't matter. Um, but you could definitely, even for me, who has absolutely no music background. I could hear that the nuances of the orchestration are so incredible and just so new. It, it was very interesting for me, like, especially cause I'm just used to traditional opera, you know, you do your, your Mozarts, your Verdi's, your, you know, right. and this is just so very unique. Um, so I think you will really enjoy seeing it again. And yeah, I think yeah. so. But I, I, you're warned. It's going to haunt you in a good way way that it's gonna haunt you some of those singers i mean i could probably listen to andrew sing all the time and Mm -hmm. you know yeah there was one guy you texted the other night and you're like i could just for hours just listen to him sing and i was like yeah he's just good really deep bass baritone voice and it's yeah it's really thrilling to listen to and he's and then she she makes them go into falsetto which is yeah also an experience like Right. So, How often do you hear a bass baritone singing falsetto? It, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. But yeah, I don't yeah, know if they thought so, but I'm glad you guys did. <laughs> <laughs> they probably read the music and were like, "What falsetto?" Um, yeah, I'm a bass baritone. I th- I think that's how that conversation went. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very so, very calm, very mellow. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and he's a, they're, they're, all the cast are just so talented, but also so unassuming about it. They're, everybody's just a wonderful, nice human. It was it was so it was just so nice to be in the room with them and and to watch them do their art and their craft. And then two minutes later, you're just chatting with them about everything and anything. That's what I find is the best because you get such a so many people who aren't in theater or arts are like, oh, you met an actor today, and I'm like, yep, yeah, just just like the rest of there's us, like they're too. <laughs> they're trying to figure out where they're going for dinner, and they haven't done laundry in a week, and going to the same yep. hotel room I'm going to, like, yep, same thing. <laughs> I still get intimidated by true. them. <laughs> Twin, you need to get over that. <laughs> Maybe because you have to deal with them way more. Yeah, we just look uh, at them. Yeah. I don't have to talk to most of them. <laughs> Maybe intimidated is not the right word, but yeah, I do definitely get scared sometimes. Uh, what? So what are you working on? That's not the right question. The question is, in so as a stage manager, I usually can only do one show at a time. How is it being a lighting designer? Are you do you usually have like three, four, five projects going on at the same time? Because you guys can kind of jump shows so much faster than I can. I have, you know, as a stage manager, obviously I'm there for all of rehearsals and music and all that stuff. And so I'm right. I'm with a show for like six weeks. So how is it? I, I talk to designers 
scenic, um, not scenic, but usually lighting and sound designers. And they're like, yeah, we do 20 to 30 shows a year. I get excited when I get six. (laughs) Yeah, we, we have to kind of like, it's a blessing and a curse that we can jump from show to show so quickly. Um, cause you, you get to work on so many different shows and they're so great, but at the same time, sometimes it can get a little overwhelming as well. And um, you don't really, I feel I, at least when I do it, that I don't bond with, like, I never really get to know the actors because mm-hmm. I spend a week with them in tech and then I'm like, okay, bye, have fun. So I don't get that yeah. same bonding experience that uh, a stage manager would. Right. Right. Which is nice. It's nice to, I get a lot of separation anxiety from the shows. Like once I get, I have to leave. I'm just like, no, but we are having so much fun together. Um, That's how I felt when you left Ginevra. Yeah. <laughs> well, that show was a little different. I'm joking. I'm joking. I joke. I can't. <laughs> Not true. Um, what is interesting from my perspective, especially, uh, is that well, I draft a lot for a lot of people. So even when I'm in tech with one show, I'm usually drafting another three or four. So it kind of never ends. It kind of never stops. You're you're constantly thinking about other shows that you're doing or other shows that you're assisting on or other shows that you need to draft. Um, many times, like I, when I finished grad school, I was like, oh, no more all-nighters. And that has not been true. You're still doing oh, all-nighters. I'm still pulling all-nighters to meet deadlines, to get in drawings, to do the paperwork, to do the design, to uh, all of it. It's just like, it's great because it keeps you busy and it keeps you moving and it's it's very fast paced. But at the same time, it's I, I like the thrill of it, of, of constantly getting stuff uh, ready and prepped and out and always having stuff to do. I feel like I'd get uh, a little bored after a while. Right. And it's so satisfying to know that you can do that and that, you know, you just finish three drawings in two weeks or whatever. Right. But there are times where I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? A nine to five job would have been just fine. And right. I Especially when you get I, but, to the pay and you're like, how many hours yeah, I, did I work on that show? And how many miles did I drive? Yeah. Correct. Correct. And you're just like, like you know, basic suburbia life is just fine but no I love it I love the thrill of it it's uh I wouldn't exchange it for anything else yeah because then you get to see it on stage and you get to see how it works with everybody else and you get to see the audience yeah. reaction and yeah it yeah. makes it worth it I mean yeah, not at three in the morning but you know a couple days later <laughs> yeah no it's true and it's just magical to watch a show that you've been drafting or like have done all this paperwork for and then you walk into a theater and it it comes alive and it's it's such a magical transition of of even just seeing how different designers like think about it and then execute it at the same time because everybody's different because because lighting is so ethereal um so I find it very interesting to see all of their approach and every designer is so quintessentially different in how they approach it from from concept to to finished design um in process and in in their thinking and their and everything and and that first day of tech when they find the language of the show it's 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 really magical yeah i i love that you keep saying magical because when we interviewed grayson he kept using the word magical as well he's like i don't want to overuse the word but there's just no better word for it it's really really? magical when it comes together 
So there really isn't. It's just this chemistry of of minds that come together and and make something that nobody has ever made and nobody will ever make again. And I th- yeah, it's true. The right word is magical. Because like you were saying, <laughs> even though this light design and the light more or less plot are going to a new space, it won't be exactly the same because the set won't be exactly in the same location and the lights might not be the exact same light and the line sets, well, you didn't have line sets. They're not exactly the same. So even though it's the same ideas, the light isn't going to be coming from the same angle or it's not going to be getting the right clouded dust at the right time. Or there's so many things that go different between even shows in the same location or shows in a different location that every time it's a new magical different experience exactly yeah and that's what I love about theater is that you're getting a unique experience everywhere you go that nobody else even from night to night that nobody else will get to experience uh ever again and there it's it's kind of mind-blowing at the same time like this just got very deep (laughs) <laughs> very, very philosophical. It's yeah. That's that's what I love about it. It's why I actually love calling shows because, especially shows that go on for a while, you mm-hmm. as a stage manager you get to see the evolution of the show, and it's something that no audience member will ever pick up because they're experiencing it for the first time. But right. as somebody who's seen the show multiple times, you're like, oh, they've never hit that note before. Or they, they yeah. the bass player has never played that before. So. <laughs> So, yeah, so. And, and and you get to experience every different facet of it and different kink of it. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Yep. When I go to see way. Cindy's shows or she comes to see my shows and we not so much when we see each other's shows because if we're working, but if we're not working, like she came out to see Allegiance and she sat next to me and since she'd heard the process the whole time. And then I'd like look over her and she's like, ah, oh, that wasn't right, was it? I was like, nope, never done that before. <laughs> That's a new one. <laughs> it's only like my dozen times seeing this part. But yep, yep, that never happened before. Not true to form, not true to form. <laughs> well, we're getting close to an hour. So I did prep you for this one, unlike yes. some of my other ones. So Yay. do you have any twin stories? Twitch says well, that you're prepared for this one. <laughs> um, I actually, essentially, just by random coincidence, always grew up around a, a set of identical twins. Um, That's weird. From practically middle school on. And I just have the worst track records at recognizing them. <laughs> terrible. And some, like, there's, there's, uh, there's one particular... Uh, set of twins uh that I've known for for a very very long time and they're very good friends of mine um but they they are they are spot on and to this day uh, uh they now live apart so one of them lives in northern Italy and the other one lives in southern Italy so now it's become easier because I know one of them is not in town anymore but to this day knowing them very well the both of them I will inevitably swap them for one another it is just mathematical <laughs> I think Edmund doesn't know what to do with them. Um, but the, the the other interesting fact is that my, my husband's uh, uncles are twins. Um, so there potentially there's uh, twins running in the family. So we'll see. We'll see how that pans out. Well, are they identical or fraternal on the uncle side? They're identical. See, that's not technically genetic that the scientists can uh, tell so far. 
Sydney and I are identical, and it so far seems to be a freak of nature because the the as soon as the egg gets fertilized within the first week, it splits at some point. That makes it identical. Whereas fraternal is the female produces two eggs and they both get two fertilized. Eggs. So that's more of a genetic thing that the woman produces two eggs, and they haven't yet, right. as far as we've been able to tell, um, there is no genetics for why an egg splits into two after being fertilized. So you know, I think that would be genetic too, though. I mean, How? sorry. I would think that would be genetic too, if if because it's your body that's doing that, but maybe not. But yeah, most people uh, actually, who have multiple, put... t- most people who have multiple twins, like if they have, you know, if it runs in the family, it's almost always fraternal. Like there's no one in our family who's identical, but everyone on Kai's side of the family is fraternal, and he has three mm-hmm. sets so far. Right, no? right, right, right. I actually had, yeah, uh, um, a guy I went to middle school with, he was, I think, fraternal as well, and his mom could only have twins, like. Really? That's wow. just what she was, yeah. So she stopped at the first two. She was like, oh, okay, this is <laughs> yeah, like, not going to keep doing that. That's just, yeah. that's just a lot. Do you get your husband's uncles confused? Or do they look No, they, they, they have aged slightly differently. Um. So one of them has more hair than the other. So that that's easy to tell apart. Got it. Easy, easy enough to tell apart. But apart from that, my, my track record is terrible. <laughs> so it'll be interesting if I ever work out work with you out here in L.A. or anywhere um, to see if you'll be able to tell us apart. Because oftentimes if people meet us and we're not together and they get to know one of us before meeting the other one, they have an easier time at telling us apart than if they meet us together. Well, we we should try it. Yeah, we should it. see. Uh, I'll come out to Long Beach one of these days, and and we'll see, <laughs> see what happens. We can even works. meet closer. I'm up in LA <laughs> yeah. all the time, a little Tokyo. So you know, we can just yeah. have a dinner date or a lunch date. This will be a, like a great a great teller if if I'm just like if there's a remedy for me. Nice. Then you can tell me all the good stories about Cindy that I didn't hear while she was out there. <laughs> So yeah, I have many. Just so many. <laughs> so, so many. She never got to listen to me mumble behind the light board as well as Grayson. So yeah, it was it was really special. It was really great. Um, we got to bond really really well because I also mumbled a lot. <laughs> I've been accused. Grayson of mumbling. was the only one that could stay quiet. The rest of us were just mumbling the whole time. Yeah, correct. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Geneva, for for joining us on our podcast and talking to us about lighting. Thank you guys for having me. This was pretty awesome. I'm excited to meet you someday and be like, Cindy or Stacy, go. (laughs) Go. Which one am I? I, I, Well, but then I have a teller because I know Cindy's not in that. Well, will I go? Yeah, right. (laughs) She 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 be like, Cindy's coming to LA. You'll meet one of us. Which one? Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> she'll show up five minutes later behind me or I'll show up five minutes later behind her at the same restaurant because we haven't planned we've done this to our parents <laughs> we have it's entertaining to do it to our parents because and the rest it. of our family our aunt took a while to catch on our mom like subconsciously knew but didn't like consciously get it and our aunt it was like right. 30 minutes later before she finally caught on it was pretty impressive how slow that was nice <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not the only one Oh, no, 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 no. Most everybody. Cool. Sometimes I get get myself confused with Cindy all the time. (laughs) Not even a joke. 
we can't always <laughs> tell the difference in pictures. I can't remember what shows I did versus what shows she did. It's pretty normal. Uh, that's, that's amazing, though. I think the bond that, that you guys have, I, I can't even imagine what that looks like. So I think that's really special and also magical. <laughs> it is magical. Magic everywhere. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jennifer, and hopefully um, I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more, visit our website at twinstalktheater.podbean.com and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play Music. You can also interact with us on Facebook or Instagram at twinstalktheater. Title music, Dance Macabre, is provided by Kevin McLeod of incomtech.com under Creative Commons License 3.0.